open up your Bibles or your apps to Revelation 19, and we are going to spend now the next 30 minutes studying God's Word together that we might get into His Word and get His Word into us. Hopefully you have an app. You can go on the App Store right now and download the South Beach Church Bible app, or should I say our church app, which has a Bible reading plan on it. You can access the Word of God there or any way you want as we turn to Revelation 19. And remind me when we get to the end of the service today, we're going to try and keep the service on point, which is what I'm really good at. I'm really good at preaching, you know, services real short and sweet and kind of getting it done. Aren't I really good at that? You know, I've had seven months to figure it out. haven't figured anything out. And when we end the service today, we're going to exit the doors behind me so that way the 11 a.m. service can come in those doors and we're going to leave these doors and all the rest. And now we're just going to work our hardest to get back to normal. How many of you guys want to get back to normal? Let's get a little vote. A little vote. Yeah, okay, okay, me too. I don't know what normal means anymore, but we're here right now. And I would honestly tell you that the Lord is doing in you a deeper work that possibly, I'm just gonna go out on a limb, could not have been done in what we knew as the normal seven months ago. How many are willing to accept that and willing to understand that? One time I went to Honduras for two weeks with a team of missionaries, and I was the leader, and I fell in love with this girl while I was down there, man, in Honduras, and I married her shortly thereafter. Her name's Crystal. But it was a great trip, and I had this crazy idea. I said, you know what I want to do? I'm going to stay in Honduras for three extra weeks, because every time I go to Honduras, I come back fired up and glowing like Moses and like on fire, and I was like, why not come back even more glowy like Moe? You know, I'm coming back even better. So I had this idea. I'm staying for three extra weeks, and Pastor Bo decided to join me and Justin Nelson, a good friend of mine, joined me. So the three amigos, man, we stayed there for three extra weeks. I'm going to tell you right now, it was the hardest three weeks of my life at that point. It was not at all what I expected was going to happen. I wanted to have a Moses experience, you know, go up to the mountain and spend 40 days with God and come down and have to wear a mask because my face glows so much. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to, you guys know the story of Genesis, right? I wanted to do, or Exodus, I wanted to do that. But instead, here's what God did. He said, okay, cool, Luke. I too want you to have a Moses experience. But before Moses got the Moglo, he had to go to the backside of the desert. Before Moses was chosen by God to be used by God, God had to take him down, break him down, expose him. You guys remember when Moses came back finally, the burning bush episode, and God's like, I want to use you. He's like, ah, ah, and he was discombobulated. He stuttered in speech. He wasn't ready. He didn't want to go because he'd been so dismantled. And the Lord, listen, through that dismantling process, finally said, Mo, finally, now I can use you. You're right where I want you to be. Now, Moses wasn't confident, wasn't comfortable, wasn't ready, didn't like what had happened. And he actually had some excuses, if you remember the story. And man, maybe you should use my older brother Aaron, you know, and all this stuff. And God's like, look, 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 I'm going to use you. It's what I've chosen to do. And I know you're all messed up now. That's right what I want to do. What, what do you have, Mo? You, got, you remember what Moses had, don't you? He had a stick. I got a stick, you know. And God looked at him and said, wow, you know. Okay, bring, bring the stick. You're going to need the stick everywhere you go. When the water's in front of you, put the stick in. When you need water out of the rock, use the stick. When, you know, when the, you need to chase somebody, use the stick. And this, he had nothing, but God was okay with dismantling his confidence that he had previously had. And I say that to say this. I believe that God has been doing a deeper work 
a work during these last seven months in my life. I know, hopefully that's the case for you too and you can confess, yeah, man, the Lord has taken me down, he's taken me out and he has turned me inside out and now I'm, <laughs> I'm still breathing, I'm still here, so I have a pulse, I have a purpose, he's not done with us yet. And so take your Bible and turn to Revelation 19. One more announcement I forgot to mention is tomorrow night and the very first Monday of every month is the missions committee where we have people gather together at the church at 7 p.m. the first Monday of the month. They learn about our missionaries that we support and are praying for all over the world and we pray for them and talk about ways that we can better serve them. So that's here at the church tomorrow night if you guys want to show up to that. There's also worship rehearsal tomorrow night but they'll be upstairs the worship or should I say missions committee but Revelation 19 is where we should be and I'll tell you what teaching through the Bible is so awesome. When you just go verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, because you'll find, you've seen this too in your own life, that where you are in the word is where you are in your life. And so here we are in Revelation 19. We began Revelation 19 last week, and we're going to get into it again this week, starting at the top, because I like what happened last week so much. We're going to start in chapter 1 and verse 1 again, chapter 19, verse 1 again, because where we are is similar to where John was when God gave John the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, John was living in a culture then that had upheaval all over. There was governmental injustice and governmental unruliness and governmental posturing globally. There was also civil unrest and racism was rampant in that time. People were protesting, people were looting, people were being arrested and falsely accused and people were dividing and there was all kinds of scarcity of that. Does any of that sound familiar to where we're at in our day? It was crazy. And so listen, the Lord gave John, the revelator, a sneak peek of things to come. Most of the Bible is past experiences, things that have already happened that we glean from when we read about Joseph and Daniel and Moses and Peter and even Jesus. We see what they did. How many of you guys ever wore a bracelet that said WWJD? Okay, what's that stand for? What would Jesus do? You're like, oh, shoot, shoot. What would Jesus do? You know, you go back. What happened? And we look at historical text to find out what we should do now. Revelation, though, is not a historical text that instructs us on what we should do now. It's a prophetical text that helps us to instruct us on what we should do now. Not because of what has happened, but because of what is going to happen. God gave this to John in a time of complete political unrest and uncertainty and chaos in the world. He said, John, 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 hey man, quit tripping, bro. I got a whole plan. I'm going to show you a sneak peek of coming attractions. And now we come to chapter 19, which is the very end of the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period that is going to happen Maybe at the end of this service, it's going to begin three and a half years and three and a half years as the tribulation period begins. And we now get to see the very end. And when you know the end, it allows you to then live in the now better and with focus. Matter of fact, let's just call it a heavenly mindset. Some people have accused Christians of being so heavenly minded, you know, just weirdos. You ever, you ever met a weird Christian before? Just look around. <laughs> you guys are laughing gently. <laughs> look around. <laughs> Some weirdos here, man, straight up. And Christians have been accused, man, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. You're just, man, pie in the sky, weirdo. Listen, the reality is, here it is, unless you're heavenly minded, unless you know what's going on, you actually aren't of any earthly good. And you just don't have anything to offer people. Unless you know the times and the signs and the seasons and what's actually coming. And so the Bible gives us prophecies 
And how many of you guys have done this before where you take your Bible and you take a newspaper and you try to figure out what's going on with Gog and Magog and Russia and China and how things are going in the Golan Heights and where Lebanon comes in and all these things. And then you read the Bible and Ezekiel and Revelation and Daniel and try and piece it all together. Have you done this before? I've done this. I do this. This is what I do for a living. And let's be honest, though. Have you ever gotten excited about the return of Jesus? Only to hold your breath? <gasps> And he didn't return. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Careful. Do you guys remember on May 21st, 2011? Do you remember that? I took a selfie. I looked for it so hard yesterday. I, tried to, I, I couldn't find the selfie. I took a selfie right outside on 101 on May 21st, 2011. Because there was a billboard out there that had that date printed on it. And it was the prediction of the end of days. It was going to happen. Harold Camping, remember Harold Camping? And he rented billboards all over the world, warning people, it's happening, May 21st, 2011. I remember on May 21st, 2011, I ran over that billboard. Selfie, you know, it didn't happen. <laughs> now, I wanted it to happen, but it didn't happen. And, and, and we gotta be careful. Because of predictions like that. And do you guys remember the book written by Harold? No, no, not Harold. I can't remember his first name now. Edward Wisenot in 1988. 1988. Edward, Edward, not Edward. Edward's not a real name. Edward Wisenot wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And it sold thousands and hundreds of thousands of copies. People were fired up. And I don't know if you noticed this, but Jesus didn't come back in 1988. And so he revised his book. In 1989, he came out with a new bestseller. <laughs> Amazon.com, go, go buy it for, for someone. 89 reasons. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. <laughs> Evidently, he was wise not. He didn't know what he was talking about. And yet, here's the deal. I want, to, I want you guys to lean in with this with me because this is so imperative. See, Jesus said... I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Be ready. Lest when I come back, you be asleep, you be distracted, you be doing something that you ought not to do. Hudson Taylor said that because he's coming back any day, that we should live like he's coming back every day. And when you live with the preeminent hope of his return, it changes the way you live. And instead of just standing on the side of the road with a selfie and a billboard waiting for the time to happen, you live with an anticipation that one day when he said he will return. There are approximately 300 prophecies in the Bible that detail the first arrival of Jesus Christ. Approximately 300 that talk about when he would show up, how he would show up. And listen, more importantly, that he would show up. You know what Jesus did? <laughs> Showed up. He did it. Just like he said, fulfilled the prophecies. It was crazy. You guys know, you know the Christmas story and the taxation from Caesar Augustus and how they had to go to Bethlehem and be numbered. And whoa, lo and behold, out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, here comes the everything, man. 300 prophecies. It had to happen. Did you know that there are 2,100 prophecies in the Bible? Okay, 300 that talk about the first coming. There are 2,100 that talk about the second coming of the Messiah. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. There are so many more that talk about the end of all days and the reign of the king and he's coming back. And if the 300 were fulfilled perfectly, 
And then God, when he wrote the Old and New Testament, went out on a limb and put extra verses and extra incentives and extra pointers to the fact that he's coming back. This is imperative. This is what God gave to John on the island of Patmos. John was suffering under Domitian, the Roman emperor. The church had been massacred under Caesar Nero, the Roman emperor. There was bloodshed, injustice, imbalance, racism, and chaos. And so the Lord gave him a 2,000-year reminder. Hey, it's I'm coming back. Don't lose heart. Now, he didn't make John wait for 2,000 years, praise God. Because John died. And so, too, you and I, we're on a, a lifespan, are we not? You're, you're going to die. 10 out of 10 of us in here are going to die eventually. Okay, Google it later. See if I'm wrong. Fact check it. It's going to happen. As a matter of fact, as I get older and older, I'm 42 years old now. And I was thinking, man, I'm, a, I'm on the downhill. I like peaked out and I'm, woo, I'm coming in hot. I've run marathons, ultra marathons. I've run the distance. I know what it's like to just keep going and never quit. And in this life, I want to run, okay, to win. I want to live and plan my days and redeem my time as if he's coming back tonight. And if he doesn't, we can start over again tomorrow. I heard one person say, plan and live as if he's coming back tonight. And, and prepare and plan as if he's coming back in 100 years. Can you do that? Can you do, do both of those? Because it seems this disconnect where we read about Edward Wisenot and 88 Reasons and Harold Camping who had a heretical interpretation of when Jesus was coming back and we tend to then throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not going to, man, those guys have been talking about the rapture. Those guys have been talking about the return. Those guys have been talking about the signs and times forever. And then you find yourself, can you do both? Okay, I just want to answer that for you. Yes, yes, you can. Yes, you must. See, this world is grasping right now for answers, grasping for solutions, grasping for candidates, grasping for vaccines and solutions. All the, ah, we need this. You know what, man? They've been doing this for years. Been doing this for years. If I were John, the revelator, on the island of Patmos, I would have rather, truthfully, just been rescued. Don't give me a revelation of what's going to happen. Just wrap this baby up. <laughs> Look around. Not too much. How many wouldn't have gone to heaven had Jesus returned in 1988? You weren't born or you weren't ready to go. Raise your hand if you, if you would have, okay? You would not have, raise your hand higher, higher than that, okay? You wouldn't have gone, to, you would have missed it, okay? It's your fault then. You're the reason why you didn't come back in 1988. And I'm okay with that. We'll get over it. I mean, I pray for the Lord's return. And yet the Lord knows better. He says, oh, Luke, Luke, I will return. I, and he gives us ample prophecies. And he gives us ample direction and warnings. Don't quit. Because I'm going to show up, boom, like a thief in the night. You best be ready at all times. Because if you live a life of readiness at all times, you're going to live a life well you're not going to be taken early or go late and have regrets. Don't raise your hand, but have you lived for yourself for a, a week or two? Have you done that before? It's called college for some of you. You've lived for yourself, man? What a joke. 
And yet when I surrender my will and say, okay, okay, if this is happening, if this is how it's all going down, then I want to be like those virgins in Jesus' parable of the bridegroom coming that were ready, that had their oil lamps full, that weren't snoozing and dozing. This is why it's imperative right now that the church take these last seven months of chaos and distraction and destruction, and hopefully in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hopefully you have loosened your grip on some of the things of this world. Hopefully you have risen your voice with the ache of eternity. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come. He's coming. He didn't tell us when. He actually told us you can't figure out when. The day that Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples watched him go up. Whoa. And they watched him in Acts chapter 1 for like an hour. There he is. No, it's a seagull. Oh, no. I don't know how long, but it was long enough where two angels showed up. We're like, what are you guys doing? Read it. It's the funniest story in the book of Acts. These angels show up like, what's up? Did you not, did he stutter? Did he not tell you what to do? Oh, he just, he's up. We're just kind of, he's, he's up there. And the angel then prophesied and said, this same Jesus will in so like manner return He's going to, there's another verse, he's going to return. But go into Jerusalem, like he said, and get after it. Get to work. And they went to Jerusalem. They were empowered with the Holy Spirit, and they became witnesses. The word witness literally means martyr in the Greek language. That is, they would lay their life down. They would deny their own will. They would live for the will and life of another, and their life would be a witness of the reality of the resurrected Christ. In Rome, in Jerusalem, in a crazy area. They wanted right then and there to figure it out. When's Jesus coming back? Listen, I'm, I hope you hear the tension in this reality. He's coming back. It's going to happen. And the reality of his return is in order that we would live our lives with that hope in mind and not get so far down the distractions of this world. And so as we read Revelation 19 and make these applications to our own life, may you leave here today willing to run the race. 5Ks are so fun. They're like less than four miles. They're just baby runs. You don't even have to train. You can just show up in your pajamas. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. But I've run 5Ks and 10Ks, and I've run 50Ks. I remember one time I was running a 50-kilometer race. It took six and a half hours. It's 32 miles. And I remember I was at about mile 28, which is two miles over a marathon, Okay. And at that point, I had lost all my nutrients and sodium and everything, and I was beginning to hallucinate and see leprechauns in the trees, you know, and it's kind of a fun race. And I remember this old man, I came around this corner, it was in the woods, and this old man was like hiding behind a tree, and I can't, I think he was there, he might not have been there, but I came around the corner, and he saw him, and he said, hey, keep going. It was like Gandalf the Grey, man. And I was like, whoa, okay, sorry, you know. I got no option, really. I could die right here. I just kept going. And I finished that race. I finished. I didn't finish first. That wasn't the objective. I finished it. Wouldn't that be rad if you left here today and said, I'm just going to keep running. I didn't do great in that race. I had injuries. I, I, I was dirty and dusty. I was imperfect. I wasn't the best athlete out there. That's not the question. Will you keep running with the anticipation of his return? Will you learn? Will you go? 
That man, by the way, who said, keep going, was a seasoned veteran runner in the Rogue Valley, one who everyone respected. He'd run many races. He, he's a real runner. I'm a fake runner. He was actually a real runner. And he dedicated his days to going to races, not to run them. It's, he'd done his. Instead, he was there to encourage others, like John, the revelator, who was old in days, Pastor John, in his 90s, the one who received this revelation. Can you imagine writing one or two chapters down and sending it to a church? How about 22 chapters? That would have taken time and energy and effort. Man, I get a migraine just texting some of you back sometimes, you know. Can you imagine if the angel says, write this down? You're like, I'm crying, you know. This is hard. And yet John was an encourager. He was a motivator. And it's important that we continue to run. Run to win. Our time is short. Guys, time is short. It's shorter now than ever before. Do you guys agree with that? Shorter. The day of salvation is closer now than it ever has been. Okay, that's just common sense right there. It's logical. We're closer than we ever have been. You know, one day closer. And then if you go ahead and just check out what's happening in the world, the peace treaties that are happening, the peace treaties right now that are kind of like third tier in the news column at best in the Middle East, peace in the Middle East, with President Donald Trump bargaining these deals with the EAU and the, the European Arab Emirates. All these things are happening that are incredible, paving the way for you Bible students. You know this for the soon revealing, listen, of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist doesn't mean primarily against Christ. I'm against Christ. It is that. But listen, here's, here's what you need to understand. It's in place of Christ. We don't need religion. We don't need Jesus or the church. We need this dude who rises up with power, who's now bringing world peace. See, President Trump is making things put into place, doing his best, leading the country and the world, making these things that biblically are predicted that are happening in order that this man one day will be revealed. By the way, when the Antichrist is revealed, okay, he's not going to introduce himself as the Antichrist, just so you guys know. He's not going to have a big old, you know, black hat, you know, and handlebar mustache and a cape, you know, and, you know, <laughs> You might think that, like, oh, we're, how are we going to, it's, it's going to, I don't know, man. And yet this Antichrist, when the Antichrist is revealed, okay, and it will bring into play a one world government and a one world religion where everybody says, you know what's going to be best for everyone? Let's all agree. Let's just agree. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Arabs and the Jews and even the Christians, I say, quote, Christians would agree. We can just worship peacefully and do it here in Jerusalem and do it here in Basra and do it here everywhere. Wouldn't that be awesome in the whole world? Man, they're not dum-dums. They're going to say, that sounds amazing. Let's do it. Let's compromise. Let's go ahead and have all these mergers come together. And it's at that time that the rapture of the church, as we saw in chapter four, will be revealed and the true Christians will be taken to heaven will be removed from this planet and somehow there'll be a cover-up, there'll be a mass pandemic, something's going to happen and some sort of explanation. All of this is detailed in the scriptures. And at the end of that seven-year period here on planet Earth, three and a half years of peace will lead to three and a half years of chaos up in heaven, Christians, that are not mentioned in these chapters. And then at the end of chapter 6 through 18, we find chapter 19 where we see now all of this come into picture. Let's read it together and study it and prepare our hearts to go live for the king. It says, after these things, what things? After the tribulation. 
after the judgment, after all the stuff that we've studied. I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. It's important that you know that, see that, and memorize that right now. Salvation, honor, glory, and power, those are all God's. They're His. If you're looking for glory right now or power or honor or some way to be saved outside of Jesus Christ, eh, do over, start over, go back to go, do not collect $200, go to jail. There's no other way. It's all in him. And at the end, so right now, if you could just redirect your mind and focus, do everything you do for the glory of God and the good of others. Have you guys committed that to memory yet? That life mantra. Do whatever you do for the glory of God and the good of others. Verse 2. It says, for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. He's going to avenge this harlot system that has committed fornication with all the kings and all of the religious institutions. See, idolatry, spiritual idolatry is anything that is religious. Listen, please, this is important. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you know that if you worship God in any way that you have derived outside of what he has prescribed, it is idolatrous and spiritual adultery? This is people watching online. Not No, I'm sorry. People who are tuning in online that don't know Jesus yet. Spiritual people. There's a lot of Christians at home watching online. Did you know that if you're a spiritual person apart from Christ, okay, it is idolatry. It is adultery, spiritual. It's fornication with Babylon. I've met a lot of spiritual people, people that are even more holy than I am, at least by practice, and they're nicer than I am. They do greater things than I am, but they don't, listen, they don't, listen, listen, they, listen, they, listen, pay attention. They don't, it's important, they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your religion is offensive. Jesus doesn't want your religion. You can be a Christian. He does not want your religion. You could be the most spiritual Christian in the world, and Jesus says, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want a relationship with you. And he's going to judge. By the way, don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys are really good at being a judge? Man, you can just, you can spot a phony. Man, you can just spot a knucklehead. You ever get mad at people? Just, ah, ah, you know? You know, all day long. You just look around, judge. Man, we are such good judges. Here's the problem 100% of the time, you're wrong. 100% of the time. Because you don't have all the info. Not only do you not have the info to be a judge, you just don't even know what you're talking about, but you don't have the authority. Let me tell you something right now. You're not the judge. Stop judging people. There's no, there's no benefit to it. There's no benefit. You can judge a tree by its fruit. You can identify, oh, yeah, I can see what's going on, but, I, but don't judge people. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. The Lord only can judge people. Have you ever in your life had to apologize to anybody? Raise your hand if you had to apologize to somebody. All the husbands in here raise their hands twice. Because, uh, man, we, we make mistakes. You know what God's not going to do when he gets to heaven with us, when we get to heaven with him? You know what he's not going to do? He's not going to apologize. Oh, sorry about that, guys. I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> do you know this? He's not going to apologize. You and I, man, we're just going to be so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Ah, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. Such an idiot. Righteous and true are his judgments. Do you believe this? This is good news because I don't know anything. People want to know. People want to talk. People want to, you know, what do you think about this? I'm like, dude, I, whatever I think, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's going to avenge. 
the blood of the saints and the martyrs. He's going to make it right. This allows us to be good witnesses. This allows us to be lovers of men, okay? Not judgers. This allows us to, you know what, just smile and say, I don't know. I just don't know. But I can love you because Paul said, if you do know and have gifts and have power and have wisdom and, and do it all right, but don't have love, it doesn't count. It's null and void, negative accounts. What's the greatest thing? Love. I wonder if we believe this because right now we are in the age of information. The Bible says to love your neighbors. Well, I'm going to do a little Facebook stalking first to see if I really want to love them. <laughs> do you, do, you know what I'm saying? We can't just love them. They're unlovable. Everybody's unlovable. And the Lord has asked you and me. He's commanded us to trust him. Hey, I'll be the judge. You guys love people. How about that? Just love them. I'll sort them out later is what the Lord would say. We live in the age of information, though. We can figure stuff out. We know stuff, and we don't want to be, you know, dum-dums and just gullible lovers of people like the Bible says to do. We've got to be the judge, too, and figure it out. Man, I, what, do we, what, what if we just tried it this, today? Just love people unconditionally. Start with your family. Okay. Start, start with, you know, but just, just did it. God's going to judge. We can take that to the bank because it feels, it feels irresponsible to love people that are sinners, bad guys, liars. Don't you guys love being lied to? Isn't this so fun? 2020, isn't 2020 so fun? I mean, what in the world? Do you believe anything anymore outside of this book? I mean, it is absolutely just, it is just a carnival and the popcorn is just being cooked every hour. Just fresh, here we go, more popcorn. Woo, it's nuts. I don't even know what to say. Except that righteous and true are his judgments. Oh, that's good news. He's going to avenge. Verse 3 again. They said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. This is eternal. And the 24 elders, that's a picture of us then. This is a future book, by the way. This is future. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, verse 4, fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah, which literally means so be it, praise God. We talked about this last week. Amen. Praise God. No matter what. Okay, this is happening in our world. Amen. Praise God. Righteous and true is judgments. He'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. I'm just going to keep running. Amen. So be it. Praise God. This can be. This ought to be. This should be. This, this might be your mantra today. Amen. Praise God. This is what they will say. No, no, let me say that. This is what you will say in the future. Do you know that these two words, amen and hallelujah, are the only two words that are universally spoken in the entire world? Every tribe, every nation, if you go to anywhere in the world and say amen, they will recognize that word. Isn't that crazy? If you say hallelujah, they'll recognize that word. You can be bilingual today. <laughs> Trilingual, whatever's after that. Lots of linguals. It's these two words. Then verse 5, a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. This is a command then to worship. We can take it now. Look at verse 6. And I heard as it were a voice, a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of a mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. There's a command to praise and then praise begins. So rad. 
Louder. Turn it down and keep playing. Frederick George Handel penned that song. It's one of 53 songs in the performance of Handel's Messiah. It's 53 songs with an orchestra playing together. 53 parts, it takes three hours. And this is way late in the production. And in 1743, when that song was played in that way, at that time, King George II, moved with emotion, stood up during this portion of the song. He'd been there for about two hours or so. Maybe it was blood flow issues. I don't know. He stood up and the rest of the world stood up with him. And now for years, historically, I'm surprised you guys didn't stand up. I'm already standing, so I'll beat you to it. People stand up during the hallelujah, hallelujah. This song handles Messiah. There's all kinds of music choices out there. Not everyone can handle this one. That was funnier than you guys made it sound. <laughs> okay, turn it off. I'm going to read verse 6 again. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. It was so fun to hear you guys sing today, worshiping loud. Can I just encourage you, exhort you, be a worshiper? We turn the music up loud, okay, for a lot of reasons, one of which is so we can't actually hear you. Because <laughs> if you're like me, you actually don't really want to be singled out and heard. It's pretty bad. It's bad. But I don't sing because I sound good. I sing because God is good. Can you, can you commit with me? And you might be here, I don't like to sing. Okay, get used to it. <laughs> Figure it out. You're going to get to heaven. Someone's going to yell at you, sing, and you're going to be, ah, singing. <laughs> You're going to be freaking out. You're going to be up front. So just deal with it. Start singing now all the time. Let's just make that our next year's New Year's resolution. I'm going to sing louder than I should. <laughs> okay? It's a sacrifice of praise sometimes. I don't want to praise. My neck hurts. Whatever hurts. Okay? Sing. He's worthy. He's worthy of your praise. Guys, I can't believe we're only this far. We've got to keep going. Verse 7. Let, verses 7, 8, and 9, I want to end with some pictures here for you guys to meditate on this week and talk about in your life groups. It says, let us be glad, this is the chorus, and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. This is her, this is us, this is the bride for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Stop right there, eyes up here. I love weddings. My wedding was a great wedding. I don't know about your wedding. My wedding was a great wedding. We invited everybody to our wedding. There was probably upwards of 400 people at our wedding. And as I've now been married 19 years, I realized that actually we didn't invite everybody. I invited everybody. <laughs> my, I just, I'm realizing now that wasn't, you know, and God brought my wife and I together, opposites attract. And so I, I invited everybody, all our friends, all our family, all our coworkers. I was living in Ashland. I invited homeless people and mentally ill people and wanted by the law people. And I kid you not, there were even literally, if you were there, you know, there were angels that showed up and worked and served. There were people that disappeared the next day. It was crazy. 
And yet, listen, our wedding, although it was a great wedding on June 9th, 2001, 19 years ago, the wedding that is described here in verses 7, 8, and 9, the wedding here, the wedding to come, it, we, it, we lose traction with these pictures because we're in the year 2020. But in those days then and in John's day, weddings were a big deal, a very big deal. And they would come in sections. There would be pieces. And let me give them to you quickly because this picture of a wedding should freak you out. It should get you motivated. Just like if you get engaged, you put some calendars out there, you know it's coming down. I tell couples that are getting married in August, let's say, or seven months from now, I say, find out how many days exactly until your wedding. Okay, let's say it's 120 days. And then together, read Psalm 120 and pray. And the next day, read Psalm 119. And the next day, read Psalm, and it's the psalmatic digression, counting down the day until that day. We do, we celebrate, we look forward, we do registries, and we do bridal parties, and we do celebrations, woo, and honeymoons. Listen. The Bible just said, I read it to you, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You ever get a wedding invitation? You're like, there goes that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm not going to get invited to any more weddings. <laughs> blessed are those who have been invited to this wedding. The marriage supper of the Lamb. In those days, a marriage would begin, listen, oftentimes before birth. Two dads would be hanging out. So, you know, I like you. I like your family. If I have a boy and you have a girl, let's go ahead and make sure they get married. And it would be called a betrothal. It would happen before they were born. It would happen when they were very young. It's something that we don't practice anymore, but it was very common in those days. And these families would agree, let's do this. And it would be decided before birth. And then once those children became of age, they would actually be introduced to one another in that way. We would call it an engagement, and it would become public, and they would accept it. And they would say, that's going to be your husband, and that's going to be your bride. And while they were not yet ready to be wed, they were engaged and legally bound by so. In order to stop that would be a legal divorce. They were engaged, waiting for the ceremony. And they would then begin what was known as preparations. And in those days, you could just go to Macy's or a bridal shop and buy a dress. You had to make your own. And so the father of the groom would provide material for the bride, and she would make her own dress. And the groom would go to his father's house and begin to then build an addition on his father's house for his bride to move into his father's house. Not in the house, but on the house. And it was that preparation time and the husband would go to work making a place for his bride. And the bride would go to work making a dress for herself for this special day. And then when the ceremony would come, it would be a time when the bride was old enough and the dress was prepared and the house was ready. And yet it wouldn't be an exact date and time, but more of a season and signs in readiness. And then on an unannounced day, the groom would be released from his father. His father would say, it's time because father knows best. Father knows when the bride is ready. Father knows when the house is ready. And the father would give the groom permission. Go get your bride. And the groom with his groomsmen, trumpet, would go through the town to the bride's house to get his bride and lead her back to his house for a seven-day honeymoon. In those days, you couldn't travel to Cancun or Maui or you know, Yahats or whatever. You, know, you couldn't... <laughs> 
couldn't go places like that. And so you would just take seven days off, okay? Once in a lifetime, never happened again. In those cultures, they didn't have what we'd have. In those seven days, and the husband would take his bride back to his house that he had made for her, and he would serve her and enjoy her, and they would consummate the marriage intimately, and they would love each other. And at the end of the seven days, they would come out, and the groom would present his bride to his friends, to his family, adorned and dressed and cared for and loved. And that's what they would do, and they would then continue the party and the celebration. And all of this is what happens then, and all of this is what God has been doing now. This is what we're going to end on today. Is that our Father in heaven has decided that you are going to be married to his son before you were born. Before the foundations of the world, he chose you. He saw you. He took you as his son's bride. And as you grew and came to maturity and were presented to him, your heart was softened and you accepted him as your savior. And now you're in the betrothal and the engagement period. And we're engaged to the groom and we're waiting for his return. And in John 14, Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to my father's house where there are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me. If it were not so, I would have told you. That's where I'm going. I'm going to build rooms for the bride, for the church, for my people. And on a day that we don't know when, where we're now invited according to this portion of Scripture, blessed are those who are invited to this feast. On a day very soon, the father will say, son, she's ready. Not only is she ready, the righteous acts of the saints, we'll talk about that next week, what it, what it means to be ready. You're the bride. Right now, our objective, the groom's busy. Don't worry about him. He's got a timeline. He said of himself, I don't know when I'm coming back. Only the father knows. I'm in full submission to the father. The father's going to tell me when to wrap this whole sucker up. And I'm going to get my bride. Make ready was what the bride was to be doing. To be ready. Let me end with these two thoughts. It says there in verse 9, verse 8, and to her, that's you, that's me, that's us, that's the church. It was granted. That means grace provision. To be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. How are you building yourself, preparing yourself, readying yourself for his return? Okay, it is through the gift of God's grace in your life to live your life for God's glory and others' good. Do you know that? Two verses I have committed to memory that live in tension. Jesus said in John 15, he said, apart from me, you can do <laughs> not a thing. That's Spanish, not a thing. <sighs> Nothing. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, what are we to be doing right now? Bride, church. We are to be arraying ourselves in the righteous acts of the saints. Not working for salvation, that's impossible. But working because you're saved. Readying yourself. Yeah, but I did that back in 1988, Pastor. I bought that book, man. <laughs> Making fun of me. Keep going. Soon this life will pass. And only things done for Christ will last. This is what we have. This is the book. We'll talk more about prophecy and fulfillment next week. Don't miss it. We're going to be in phase three next week. Just kidding. 
<laughs> Probably be back to phase one because of you guys. Let's, let's pray. <laughs> Father, in Jesus' name, we take your word and we simply receive it and say yes and amen. In Jesus' name. And we take your word, which is simple direction for every single person, and we combine it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And would you now empower us to keep going, to array ourselves, to do works befitting righteousness, to be husbands that lead, to be wives that worship, to be kids that walk in submission and, and worthiness is unto the Lord, that our people, Lord, who are dedicated to doing and being what you've called us to do and to be. Would you forgive us of our sins and our smallnesses, Lord? And even now, in Jesus' name, would you convict us? Before we end, if you need conviction, if you would like conviction, I don't know if there's anybody in here who doesn't want it. Would you just raise up your hand and say, yeah, Lord, convict me. Show me what you want me to do. Man, I will do it. Lord, be that guy that comes out in the 26 mile and gets in my ear and says, keep going. Would you raise up your ear? If you want the Holy Spirit to be your best friend this week, telling you what's right and what's wrong, empowering you to put down the distractions, to put down the stupid, to go after the things that will remain, to array yourself a bride to be ready for his return. Holy Spirit, would you do that for me? In Jesus' name, I'll make room for you. Come into my life. Take over all the stupid things that just take my time. Take it away in Jesus' name. Let my life, if that's you, just agree with that. Let my life be an offering for you that I might be ready for my groom when he arrives. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Do these things, we pray. Bless us now as we go our way. We plead the blood of Jesus over our body, mind, and spirit. Would you protect us from all things formed against us? Make us prosperous, Lord. Bless the 11 a.m., Lord. They're probably wondering when we're going to leave. We love you so much. We'll probably sing in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen.